All right, so you are about to become a mix master, mixologist. No, I'm just, I'm just gonna order a cocktail set and make. You're going to become a mix myself. god. It's 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 absolutely not even like worth talking about. I just, I you know, I, I get tired after work and I feel like coming home and getting kind of shitty. Prometheus came down from the mountain with a book of cocktail of beer. recipes, and you are the beneficiary. That's what I'm getting from this. If it helps. If it helps you. It does help me. My entire perception of reality has been reduced to a whole cartoon thing. Not by anime, not by manga. I reread Miss Fucking Lonely Hearts, and the guy really draws broadly. Like, I could pick up half the comics in here, and they go for a more sort of grandly approach to human psychology, as opposed to sort of sketches that guy goes for. Mm-hmm. I reread it. It's not the manga I'm talking about today for some reason, even though maybe it should be, but I reread Monster a few months back, or at least most of it. And that thing has a real uh, way with its emotional spots. I have to say, I was really impressed by that going back. It always does, yeah. It's interesting. I never finished Monster, but I did finish 20th Century Boys. Usually you do Monster and then 20th Century Boys, but Mm -hmm. um, here I am. How does it feel to be a rebel? A mixing rebel, Sam? I've made six cocktails in my life. I don't think that I... You know, if you count the uh, sophisticated Jaeger bomb you've made... Many oh, I've made I've made dozens and dozens. Then it could be hundreds. It could be hundreds. No, it's this like it's this sort of like getting into my thirties thing where like it's starting to be not enough to just have some amount of soda around whenever I have a dark liquor. <laughs> Is that what it means to respect yourself? And you know, throughout my entire life thus far, that's been sufficient. But um, you know. Dude, you a lot like of times to enjoy I didn't even things. Dive into the soda, I just yeah, I, no, I've been there. I've been there for all of that. <laughs> I've been there for the you know looking at all the soda in the fridge and being like, fuck that. This <laughs> has got you know the botanicals of fifty six plants or something like that. <laughs> Jaeger Uber Alice. When I watched Avatar: The Last Airbender, all I could think is that these guys can't hold their cactus juice. How are they going to save the fucking world? What if Ozai challenges you to a drinking contest? You're supposed to be some kind of monk, clearly not of the Jackie Chan variety, therefore God, damning. Speaking of cactus juice, did I tell you that my dad's been hitting me up telling me that he wants to try acid for the first time? That's been the strangest fucking conversation you I've not had tell in me uh, that. several years. Man, oh yeah, man. But, well because like he's an artist, right? And he wants to try painting while, uh, while fucking tripping balls. And I'm telling him, well that's more productive than you know most people get to thinking about this so uh kudos i suppose i don't want to <laughs> hear about it but like go for it dude I-, I guess show me what you managed to get done well i'm sure he won't fry any of the like important parts of his brain maybe just memories of a jethro tull concert in 1990 well, whatever he's he's almost 60 at this point they're gonna fry anyway <laughs> Well, we're predisposed to dementia, so you know what? Like, if fucking do whatever you got to fucking do, you know what? Get that guy into some fucking crossword puzzles. <sighs> or some history podcasts. History podcasts, I think, may actually have jump-kicked my brain away from a somewhat somnolent phase when I started the corporate work. Because there really are some hamster-on-a-treadmill moments in the office. Mm-hmm. I like history podcasts specifically because it does take me away from, you know, the day-to-day. You know, it takes me to another place and provides context for why I should still hate the day-to-day. 
Yeah, yeah, it's almost like a fantasy novel. You don't have to hear anyone's made-up Christmas carols. <laughs> no, no, no. We all love our embedded poetry within fantasy novels. <laughs> Dinner songs for hobbits. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So we got a bit of a different setup today. It's a fun idea. It's my uh, money in the bank idea. I'm Chris Jerrocoing this episode. I thought it was because I was just really busy this week. No, Sam. It's because I'm a fucking innovator. I mean, I was also really busy this week. Pay no attention to the. Am man I sandbagging the you right now? Home. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll. I'll shut the fuck up. Go ahead. Go ahead. This. This is a fantastic Denard idea, and we should all be thankful that he has such fantastic Denard ideas. Not that I was just really fucking busy at work this week. So I was. Watering the plants in the Garden of Genius. <laughs> and I thought, the manga half of Weeaboo Hell has been insufficiently in- attended to. There's a whole world of great things and noxious bullshit out there that we could be covering. That's on the page. You might say the same for visual novels, but we did the whole dating sim things and... Not to show my age, but the ratios of worth my time to not within the VN spaces skewed i could do another visual novel episode in a little bit i want to i want to maybe play one of the original fate games maybe the original fate stay night all right that's cool but then i might try a bit of acid just to just so you know all things being even like oh just you know like balance the cosmic scales sure what i thought might be good to shore up the manga half of things would be to do book reports. Not written, unfortunately, because we are not deeply productive men, but we're going to discuss books. But it's also a podcast. They are books that only one of us has read. Minor detail. Minor detail. And the other person will be free to either just respond or invent lies. I'm pretty good at both of those. Less so at lies. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure I'm where the fucking nonsense tree sprouts from. So what did you read this week? I was kind of just scrolling what was uh, what was hot, uh, mm-hmm. right? And I managed to find this horror manga. Uh, and, and I chose a horror manga for this because historically, manga has kind of had Western comics fucking beat real goddamn hard in terms of horror. Fucking They're just, code. They're just real fucking good at it over there. Uh, they just like are just better at thinking of fucked up shit for whatever reason. And so usually when I pick up a I horror manga... I think it's manga, because the Japanese horror comic tradition wasn't beaten to death with a fucking seal club in the 1950s. Yeah, probably. Yeah, um, it they did not have the uh, corruption of the innocent. It's a really fantastic point. It really helps when your genre can legally exist. Yeah, so um, the the Japanese horror canon, um, although, I don't know, I would like to learn more about the Japanese horror manga canon, uh, because I really don't know too much about it, you know, prior to Junji Ito, because he's kind of just, he is kind of just the name in Japanese horror manga, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've... um. Big dog. I, I I read some other you know fun uh, Japanese horror manga. Some of some of it more fucked up than others. Like the um, 
Oh god, like the corpse delivery service one I've read, and that one's like I've spooky, heard about that, but and I've never touched onto it because of the structure of that title. It makes me imagine fucking Kiki from Kiki's Delivery Service in that position. Well, the whole thing is that it's the fun sort of, you know, ragtag group of people with connection to the supernatural. Like, the main character is like a Buddhist monk in training. Uh, it's it's, ah. it's, it's, it's kind of neat. And, you know, I've read some Frank and Fran in my time. Monsters, of course, a fantastic horror manga. The, the one that I've picked for my book report today wasn't. <laughs> and it wasn't in a uh, in a way that it was actually more interesting than it was disheartening. Like oh, you so know, I go into child. some of this stuff and am just utterly defeated by it. Uh, but this, you know, I was watching it be not very good and thinking to myself, "Oh, hmm, okay, yeah." So I feel like I'm learning something here. Uh, so uh, you know, hats off to Monkey Peak. That is the manga that I'm covering As in uh, today. P e e k or P e a k. P e a k. Um. Uh. It's about this pharmaceutical company that goes on a team building trip, hiking up, you know, some mountain uh, somewhere in backcountry Japan. Not really sure where. Oh shit! What happens? Do they try their own product? No, no, no. The um, that might be a little bit more interesting. No, what happens? So, sorry, is, I go on uh, cyberpunk autopilot sometimes. It's like a disease. I think you thought that this was uh, Vandermeer, uh, for a second. I don't actually know if Vandermeer has has written anything about psychedelic drugs, but... Me being me, I just hear the words pharma company and then some fucking Nine Inch Nail or Blue Stully song kicks in in the background. Well, what happens is that almost immediately when they go on this team building trip, like half of them get murdered by this demon monkey. (laughs) Just Right? right out the gate? Like in the second chapter. Damn, son, keep moving this slowly and the readers might get bored. Yeah, two chapters in, and you already sort of have everything you need to assess how this thing is going to go and what exactly is wrong with it. So for starters, there's absolutely no mystery, whatever, behind (laughs) any of this at all. Because, first of all, they show you the demon monkey Mm -hmm. basically immediately. Oh, so just no alien bonus? What's up? Just so no no alien bonus. Like, that's the movie everyone always talks about when they say, like, the Yes, yeah, there's no alien bonus here. You see that this shit looks like right the fuck up front. And it's, um... Like, someone just walks onto the beach and someone shouts, Oh, shit, nigga, a shark? Pretty much, yes. He kind of just gets a page to himself. It's like, hello, I'm the demon monkey. I'll be your horror antagonist for this manga. And, uh, it's like, well, great. Any sort of suspense... That, you know, could have been created by wondering what the fuck is following them, you know, butchering them is gone. It immediately butchers, like, a couple of them. They don't even go missing. Mm. <laughs> you would think that you would have a couple of them go missing, and then, you know, like, you know, you find, like, a part of them. This is a demon monkey wielding, like, a couple of big fucking machetes. <laughs> That's kind of- That started out dumb in my head, and then it went to sweet, and I think I've been playing too much Sekiro. Yeah, it actually does sort of look like a secure antagonist, which um, would be kind of cool uh, were this a video game, were this an interactive medium. It's not. Oof. Uh, because uh, immediately, they show you this guy, right? They show you this this demon monkey. That's the first thing. That's the first mistake they make. The second thing is that almost immediately, I think it's within the first three chapters, they tell you why it's there. <laughs> they give you the backstory <laughs> to this thing. Uh, there's absolutely no mystery involved. 
You know, it's just like in Psycho when you're 30 minutes into the movie and his mom says, I'm going to go stack some fucking heads, son. <laughs> because what happens is, you know, they give this backstory like, oh, you know, back in the uh, Meiji period. No, it was earlier than that. Back in, oh, God. I'm, I have a minor in Asian studies. <laughs> We're talking like Bakumatsu or some shit? Back in, you know, back in the Tokugawa period. There we go. Uh, back in the Tokugawa period. Like, you know, a samurai threw a demon monkey off a cliff. Or maybe it was just a regular monkey. I don't know. <laughs> now it's a demon monkey. <laughs> okay, so this is about monkey vengeance on man for throwing a single monkey on a cliff. I thought we were headed for some kind of environmental allegory given humanity's current hobby of fist-fucking the planet to death. But- no, it's it's just a monkey. It's just a fucking... <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a just like an angry monkey. fucking yokai-ass monkey who just wants to fucking hack a bunch of uh, pharmaceutical white-collar workers to death. Just, you know, on a hike. You know, they're on a hike. Huh. About six or seven chapters in, once the, uh, once the author... And I don't want to disparage this guy too much because this really feels like a freshman effort. <laughs> once he realizes that he kind of can't wring that much more suspense out of, you know monkey <laughs> he starts turning this into like a survival thing right because you know the the hiking group runs out of water real fast and you know they're in the middle of this uh this trail Honestly, up and down this mountain good on him for thinking on his feet there it's i i guess because you know the way that he propelled the cast into these dire straits was having them make just the dumbest string of decisions you could possibly imagine. The way you describe it going from the initial threat to just sort of trying to make it broadly kind of reminds me of how things went in Crossed. And Garth Ennis is one of my favorite comics writers because he has written the best and worst comics I've ever read. Crossed, unfortunately, was in the second category. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Sorry, I guess this is a tangent, but I was just thinking about that sort of survival pivot a horror comic can take depending on its scenario. I'm just um trying to see if I have anything interesting to say about Crossed in particular and Garth Ennis in abstract. Nuanced at all. Well, I mean, Crossed is relatively vulnerable to bands. Like, beheading people, whatever, we know that that battle is sort of lost in terms of any kind of broader tastefulness. But uh, when it comes to the way we treat sexual assault, at least within the sort of American and European and Japanese sort of comic straits. There's sort of an unspoken thing that you make sure you have some kind of purpose or higher idea in mind, or you're mm-hmm. talking about the thing in a relatively honest way. I guess, okay, honest might honest be the wrong word, because it's way. not... He's not well, it's, it's he less that. dishonest fucking random It's, it's, it's less that for me, and more... Okay, so since... I want to say 2004. 2004, you know, we get the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Complete with and the it lounge feels down with the sickness. Complete with the lounge down with the sickness. And I think that is about when America specifically just goes fucking nuts for zombie flicks. For the next... I mean, The Walking Dead is still, to my knowledge, you know, on the air. They announced their last season... Cool, yeah. So, still ongoing. And I think around the time Crossed came out was about a year into me being so fucking sick of zombie shit. Now, this uh, could have had something to do with who I was hanging out with at the time. 
And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> you spend so much time alluding to your mystery antagonist. You're creating a fucking myth arc on this podcast. <laughs> How do I pay that off, Sam? Do I invite this motherfucker to the show? Is that what? It could have had something to do with who I was hanging out with at the time. But good lord. Zombie media was to the aughts what fucking um, isekai has been to the tens for me. Is there a zombie isekai yet? Oh, I'm so fucking certain that there is. Like, there, there, there's no way that there's not, and I bet I'd fucking hate it. The zombie trend in particular was a weird one. I mean, I, I, I totally understand clones and copies and whatever. I understand how that happens. It's weird mm-hmm. for me when things come out that are just disconnected from whatever the central metaphor or idea was. Oh, like, yeah, by the time the worm bodies came out, like, I feel like the, the genre was basically done at that point. Like we and it's and it's weird. Like the zombies are supposed to be this, I guess, broad collective threat, and then you have things that have like one giant fast zombie, and I'm wondering what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> and I guess the answer to what that means is, look at our lighting engine. Look at our lighting engine, or you know, we've run out of things to say, but we do like playing with toys, don't you? You know, that that's a universal experience. You know, we like playing with toys. What, ca- what catches on and doesn't in that way is arbitrary. Like, if this came out earlier, is there an alternate universe where there's just a giant monkey trend? Giant monkey movies. You have giant monkey horror communities springing up everywhere. I don't know, because I don't, I don't necessarily know that giant monkey functions as a mirror that society can kind of look in the way that, uh, you know, zombies or vampires or, you know, other such... Uh, you know, horror movie monsters can be, are zombies kind of a reflection of, you know, the uh, Collective commoditization rat. of everything. And, you know, just in, am I actually like a unique person who has free will? Or is everything I do dictated by, you know, what uh, you know, the mass consciousness uh, wants me to do? And um, vampire. Where vampire is supposed to be a dark reflection of again? I think it's sexual assault. There's a whole weird lineage when it comes to that. I can't speak too much to the sort of pre-literary, like, mythological various vampires that have been in shit. Well, let's say Bram Stoker for- and forward. Okay, so this fucking book comes out, and the book is really concerned with the idea of degeneration, which is often taken as a sort of commentary on a certain perspective on race and mixing of lower orders and they're taking their women's and such. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying about a fear of rape might be one of the core things. What people seem to be Maybe way, tuberculosis way more attached to nowadays, and it's not better or worse, but it is different, is this factor of immortality and how that changes people. And they seem to just become basically more interested as a thing about wealth. Okay. Like, vampires have just become the ultimate haves in a lot of media. Now, here's the bifurcation. It kind of fucks with a lot of vampire media, because I don't think they're aware of the split here. Mm-hmm. Which is that sort of school one of vampires, the whole thing is, like, a shitty curse. And school two, they're, like, the gentry, and in some ways they are enjoying something that they treasure and is worth treasuring. And those are... Almost two different stories. I almost wonder if there might be some profit in just trying to 
I don't know. If you are a budding supernatural horror author, maybe try divorcing the concepts, slap a new name on it, and see if that makes you a mountain of money. The thing is, I have a kind of sneaky regard for, you know, vampires as a monster and the vampire genre in in general. You know, some stuff happened to that genre uh, about 10, 10 years back or so. <laughs> Between the royalty thing and the degeneration thing, um, it became about boning. Yeah, that's another... Yeah, it then became a bad boning. Um, <laughs> oh well, uh, we'll uh, we'll wait for it to get cool again. It's gonna be a while. <sighs> Cause like it was cool <laughs> for a second there. Like remember yeah. the Blade movies? Like that was cool. It was real fucking cool. That was good shit. That was good shit. And then I guess it was a different kind of cool amongst a demographic that I was not a part of. And so you know I what? That deserve makes judgment. <laughs> That's how I live. That's the line I draw on the sand. Giant monkey with machetes. I think the problem here. I wonder if there's more than one of them. Maybe like that ends up being the fun. Like, oh, you didn't actually have all the info twists, where you know it ends up that there was more than one of them. They just had a fucking city behind a mountain or some shit, and just just a fuck ton of monkeys. It's like the fucking Flintstones back there. (laughs) I think that the devil of it is that. It's not even that scary looking. It's just, it's kind of goofy, honestly. Like, it's drawn in that sort of very distinctly horror manga style where, you know, it's mostly shaded in, right? You know, you have, um, I'm talking about art, and it's like, it's really clear that I have no fucking idea what I'm talking about when I talk about art because I can't actually, like, use any sort of vocabulary or language to describe what I'm talking about. But, you know, it's it's drawn in that certain horror manga way that, you, you know, you, you've read Berserk, you've read you know, Gil or whatever. I don't know why I went to that instead of Uzumaki. You know, where um more of the figure is shaded in than not. Uh, and, okay. you know, what is not shaded in is, you know, the detail uh, that is given and uh, that is made more disturbing for the fact. It's interesting that the monster doesn't come off that scary visually. Sometimes I think about this. Because it's a and- fucking monkey. <laughs> like, I know that monkeys can be scary because the fucking Beast Titan terrified me the first couple of chapters. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Monkey trouble. Oh, you thought we could go a fucking episode without me fucking standing for attack? You know what? I'm actually just, I'm going to try and rise above it this time. All right. So what I was trying to get at is I think that a problem that some horror things run into, mm-hmm. and not all because some people have just evolved in the fucking hyperbolic chamber to exist in high gravity or whatever, but working in certain supernatural fantasy molds means that you are writing or drawing or directing something that you might not actually intuitively find it scary. Like, I think that a lot of good horror is about something that is latently scary to the author. That's why H.P. Lovecraft could... He could, like, profit off of writing about minorities, because... I was just about to fucking mention H.P. Lovecraft. I like to think that H.P. Lovecraft is the only fucking horror writer who is that big of a fucking jerk-off to become absolutely fucking terrified by the shit he was writing as he was writing it. <laughs> like Stephen King, you know, would think, ooh, that's a spooky idea, and then jot it down. And then, like, three out of five times, it would be actually a spooky idea. You know, like, I'll give him, you know, over 500 batting average here. But no, Lovecraft was so fucking wrapped up 
and how fucking terrifying that this all was. <laughs> that I, I imagine him trembling as he put fucking pen to paper. And then, you know, it's a it's a story about how he doesn't want his daughter to have sex with a black man. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he really does have a uh, prose poem called On the Creation of Niggers. Which I know. I think I, I've read it. Just... <laughs> Because I, 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 for some reason, for some fucking reason, I got the entire unabridged works of H.P. Lovecraft for Christmas one year, and you know, I Do read it and made you? the decision that he's uh, <laughs> he's not very good. I don't know what fucking profit they expected from that handy gift. <laughs> like he's interesting, I guess. He's not good. He's interesting. Oh, well, you um, know, trains falling off of rails into orphanages are interesting. Like Ambrose Bierce and that what was the guy? The guy he wrote the Great God Pan. Mm. One sec, let me let me look it up. Arthur Machen. Machen. Arthur Machen. Uh yeah, him. Kind of not quite accurate to say that you know, Lovecraft invented uh Racism. Cosmic horror. I don't know. I'm maybe I'm taking too much credit away from it. Point being it's okay. Point we all being have our that uh, that Lovecraft stuff I never found too immensely scary. <laughs> because I'm not too amazingly terrified by the vastness of the universe. I just uh, <sighs> it'd be nice if it weren't so empty. <laughs> That'd be cool. It would be nice if there were some more uh, some little stargates to let me hop over to other bits of action. So my thing is actually by another uh, horror manga author. So this episode oh, was almost a horror book club thing. But this But it was not horror manga actually. What once more? But it was not actually horror manga. Oh yeah, it's sort of more of a hybrid thing. I guess you would essentially call it a psychological drama or some shit. Okay, fun. Genre labels get wiggy the further you go down into the hole. Oh man, I'm so so excited for you to say that you read the fucking cat manga that Junji Ito wrote. <laughs> Oh, uh, man, if there is a fucking book club number dose, we, I will totally read the cat manga. I'll put that promise on there because that just sounds like a fun way to spend a weekend. That might just be my favorite thing he ever wrote. Like, probably because I had read his other stuff prior to that and thus, you know, like him writing the fucking cat manga and just doing his Junji Ito tropes with the cat manga. Great. I don't know, man. It's just, it just fucking, it hit. it hit, it worked. Also, it's weird watching interviews with the guy. He's the most normal, milk toast ass dude in existence, and has written the most fucked up shit I've ever read. Remember when we looked up what the Berserk creator looks like after we watched? Uh, he just looks like a guy. Go, yeah, most of them just look like a guy. I mean. Tide Kubo does not look like Jessica. Tide Kubo looks like Tide Kubo because he fucking invented a brand that is Tide Kubo. I'm so proud of him for looking like Tide Kubo. Like, it's... <laughs> it's so fucking good. I love that kid. All right, so... It's so... This, this author, it's actually a guy who did The Flowers of so Evil, dull. which is a sort of a horror coming-of-age thing of note. And in a completely different tile, this is a horrifying coming-of-age story. And it's called Inside Marie. It is not okay. the name of a porno, I promise you. It could have been the name of a porno, because this is a body switch story. I could do a book report on a hentai manga, sure. 
that would be possible. Like, who else could you trust to be objective about it? Oh, man, just, like, dissecting a fucking grapefruit and saying this rind is thick. <laughs> so this is a body switch story. And not thick enough. I guess it's core gimmick. Well, there is a secondary core gimmick, but that's going to launch into Spoiler Town, and I'm going to do the basics of going to Spoiler Town, and then I'm going to just dive into Spoiler Town to talk about the rest of the motherfucker, okay? Cool. We're okay. all cool. All right, so basics. And this is chapter one stuff, so I'm not even going to count it as a spoiler. This guy is a, uh, I wouldn't, I don't want to say archetypical hikikomori. Well, I guess archetypical hikikomori. I want to say stereotypical hikikomori because he gives the guy some psychological texture. Okay. Actually, or maybe he's just good at voice writing. That might be more the thing. Could be, could be that he's an archetypical hikikomori and the guy is just a half-decent writer. He is a strongly written Hikikomori voice, and he has a minor fixation on a local girl, definitely underage. And he wakes up one day just inside her body and not in the way that he had been imagining. He is just her in that frame. He has no oh, man, idea. I bet, th- I bet this does not go to a, uh, to a Kimi no no wa place. This is not Freaky Fucking Friday. I can tell you that shit. <laughs> essentially takes this frame that is often used for a sort of quirky romance or, you know, learning to relate to other people and their struggles, and we can all go home today feeling very different, and just plays it for all of the alienation and dysphoria and terror that you feel in that fucking situation. Yeah, no, that's, um... I would definitely be freaking out for months uh, were that to happen. And were it to reverse itself, I would probably have a hard time being okay again. Okay would be a foreign concept for me after this fucking trip, I have to fucking say. I don't think I'd even believe that okay was ever a thing after that. Yeah. Like, it's just like a concept that, you know, just this invented concept that no one actually understands. The thing has a nice sort of moral push-and-pull relationship with the fact that this was an underage girl who he was, I don't know, half-stalking, semi-stalking, the the manslaughter one of stalking. (laughs) And he's in a situation, it's almost God saying, I thought this was what you wanted. You're Marie now. Don't you want to be Marie? There's been so fucking much of that lately. (laughs) (laughs) Monkey's Paw Universe. <laughs> Just yeah, Monkey's Paw Universe. Like, oh man, I wish I could I wish I could have some time off. What if I had like one more summer vacation? I got my last one way too soon. Oh no, no, please stop. <laughs> oh man, I hate this job. Bang, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's been a rough time for Monkey's Paw scenarios. Including for this guy, I wish I could go back to high school and do this shit all over again. Because he has to go back to high school as this girl. And he doesn't know who her friends are or how people expect her to behave. Oh, cool. She has a completely different personality type to him. <laughs> I should note this. It's not essential to plot or anything, but we're not just doing plot summaries here. I guess it's, it, it is a report or review or, or whatever the fuck. But one thing I really like about, I want to say the two-fifth stretch to four-fifth stretch of things is there are a lot of moments mostly played for drama, occasionally played for, oh, God, why, and... Is there a joke in there? I don't think there are, there aren't many jokes in this. It's not very funny, but <laughs> but um, oh, it does a lot of, like but that, that one of, 
comic about like the the kid who's drawn as like the cartoon bird, and you think it's gonna be silly. Oh no, no, and then it's not. Yeah, yeah. Then a it's lot super of, uh, not. Was, was that? Oh yeah, gonna be pun pun. No, something else. Pun 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 pun. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Pun pun. Morgan loves that comic. But uh, I enjoy a. Uh, there's a lot of small spots, like when everyone has to tell him to close his fucking legs, and he's. Like, <laughs> and he has this fucking schoolgirl skirt on, or he suddenly becomes aware of every straight man's eyes on him yeah i think (laughs) i think that's a useful thing it'd be a cool thing for more dudes to perhaps be able to think about (laughs) that's a good point i i I guess i was stuck on the thought of this is a clever and well-rendered moment but yes it would create a few more truces in the battles of the sexes if there was some more cognizance of that on this run. I just like I could I could count on one hand the number of times I've felt kind of threatened while someone was flirting with me, and it's uh it's me making kind of a zero with my hand, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then you know I've got I, I I can talk to you know one or two of my friends um and ask them, hey, how often have you been creeped on in your life? And they just don't have a fucking number for me. I think the uh, answer that some of them would give you is, wait, where is he? Where is he? They just pull a fucking gun out of their <laughs> fucking bag. But <laughs> this comic goes places. I'm mm-hmm. going to pull up the spoiler card ahead of time this time. So I have to edit something into the fucking episode at 5 a.m. Yeah, but I did enjoy the fucking record scratch. That was fun. That was like a cute little fucking. That was fun. Ah, oh, good, good. I'm glad, I'm I glad the little it. Q gave you something. So where this fucking comic goes and it's callable is one of my two theories early on. If you catch it early on, congratulations, pat yourself on the back. But this comic is more about the ride anyway. And in fact, you might say the conclusion is a little underwhelming. But where this comic essentially goes about two thirds of the way through, and again, you might have called it, especially if you are of a certain political bent, is... There was never a body switch. She is going through some mental shit right now. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and uh, essentially there was a double Mobius reverse stalking where she is someone who wanted to escape her life for a range of reasons, and she became fixated on this guy who to her seemed, I guess, free. Interesting. I'm having a little bit of a hard time wrapping my head around it. Like, does this guy actually exist, or... It's crazy because the guy actually does exist. There is a Hikikomori okay. with this name who is sexually fixated on this girl in this manner. But a lot of his character that we get through his stream of consciousness was actually just her filling in shit or projecting shit. Okay. This whole thing has just been this kind of dissociative episode that she's been having. Yeah, it's this, this sort of queer dissociative episode... That's interesting right there. And and how granular do I want to get with the spoilers? Because someone might actually fucking read this. I'm sort of wondering. Uh, you already put the tag on. I did already put the tag on. Okay, so this thing's a little fixated on names. And essentially the reason that she has this whole dissociative episode, well, there's multiple sh- shits going on, obviously, but her mother one day just took her aside and said, from now on, your name isn't Fumiko anymore. It's Marie. Because her mother sort of treats her as, like, this sort of home porcelain doll, right? Okay. Which is why she is this popular girl. And I guess what motivates her to 
start thinking of herself as this guy who can't cope with this situation and this identity and body that isn't hers. It's because she cannot do that. It's because she cannot do that. Yeah, yeah. see, there's a... That's that's real cool right there. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a very cool idea. There's a whole thread of the comic I haven't described. There's this, I guess, what becomes a lesbian relationship as this thing slides through her identity crisis. And it's interesting, just like this sort of externalization of one's dissociation, which is an emergency externalization of one's consciousness from themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. She just threw open her fucking psyche's escape hatch. <laughs> I kind of wonder if, if I should reread it knowing the whole thing, because there are all these little monologues of her trying to self just tell herself, I'm Marie, I'm Marie, and... You know, originally you're thinking of it as this person trying to occupy his other identity, but it was hers all along, but it was not at all. I like the uh, concept of someone taking this kind of like, I wouldn't call it very, you know, belonging to anime, but this kind of cutesy, cutesy sort of... Um, I would say it belongs to rom Fantasy... Uh, yeah, this cutesy sort of uh, rom-com trope that, you know, was perhaps most famously, at least recently, used in anime, right? Um, using it as a way of, I guess, sort of getting your foot in the door with the reader in terms of getting inside this character's head and, you know, why they are doing the things that they are doing and why they have made the choices that they have made. So I, I like the idea of using that kind of silly trope as a tool for this. It's a really kind of fascinating idea. I don't actually think I've ever, um, at least in recent memory, like seen or heard um, of this really kind of being done. I'm sure it has, like it, it, in other sorts I mean, it's of been, ways. It's been but, a um, different purpose. Like you would basically use a sort of genre standard that normally throws people into a groove of expectations. And that gives you time to go somewhere else if you have a different idea. It's almost like how some mm-hmm. magicians might, you know, just paint a number on their palm and do something with their other hand. Okay, sure. And that kind of sleight of hand is, I was going to say pleasant to read, but this comic is really into doing unnerving psychosexual shit, so that might be the wrong adjective. But it was an engaging read. Oh, certainly. Like, the kind of shit that makes you nervous while you're reading it. Yeah, yeah, that's how I describe it, and it turns a batch of catty high school girls and just little spots that gave me fucking anxiety and that's something because in case you guys haven't noticed i'm somewhat brash (laughs) and i'm there reading this like no you fucking moron what's jennifer going to say you're going to ruin everything (laughs) and prom is tomorrow so a fair balance if i were to say this comic has a problem it kind of just ends in my opinion um, does it end in this way that frustrates you into thinking harder about it? Because I will give something points for that. Oh, no, I don't mean that it has, like, a sort of high philosophical, like, gecko ending. I mean that, I guess I mean that once we get through sort of the main discursive threads of the things, I've, I've done a lot of interesting stuff with the relationships, he kind of speeds the main girl along in her, like, process of psychological synthesis. Uh, and then there's a bit of a see that kind of happened in Kikuchi Goto for me. Uh, 
Uh, I can't remember. I think we covered Kikuchi Goto on this show, we right? Did. Yeah, we did. Sort of after action report on that one, I ended up being not a little bit disappointed by uh, how it wraps up. It seemed to chicken out just a little bit with its ending. Uh. Uh, I was I was gearing up for an ugly cry show, and then it comes out of nowhere with just just this massive fucking expo dump in the first half of its final episode, and then kind of a everything gets wrapped up in a neat little bow kind of deal. That's the turn of phrase I should have used for some of my problems of the ending in Marie. The entire process of trying to unfuck yourself from this situation, to me, is, like, part of the story. I wonder if the series got canceled. That is very possible. That is entirely possible. The thing has a wackadoo premise. It it could very well be. This is not Dragon Ball. (laughs) And, in fact, some things that are Dragon Ball. It could be that he knew that he had three chapters to, like, fucking make the goddamn point. Did you hear that the One Piece guy, like, made that comic, like, six different versions before he got a long runner? God damn. He used to call it, like, Romance Dawn. That's fascinating to me because that thing prints money for someone now. And at some point, some editor said, yeah, not feeling it. <laughs> like, that's interesting, right? That's almost inspiring, yeah. in a way. Well, like, how long did it take for superhero flicks to finally fucking catch on? So, there was like, a fake positive start because the initial run of Superman movies just made the good money. Yeah, they they were they were fun. People liked them, and then like trying to remember what exactly killed them. I think just like a couple of Superman movies in, and people were like, okay. Uh, and then in the eighties, I think it was in the eighties when you know the superhero genre kind of died a little bit because they tried making a Supergirl movie, and that didn't really work. I don't want to. I'm not so sure if I want to lay the blame at its feet for you know, killing the genre for you know any amount of time. But then you know. Batman happens in 1989, and people love that. Not me. Very true, very true. I guess uh, but, Tim um, Burton is the guy who put the defibrillator up to the, that whole genre's heart then, huh? In a sense, yes. And then it kind of limped along for a little while uh, before actually getting real treatment. Don't forget, it's not a good movie. He's not a good character. Spawn is still a landmark moment for superheroes and black representation in fucking... Are we sure? I had to... Maybe Buku it's... Okay. Bucks, Ubiquity. I, I'm not saying it's good. This is like... We're talking... Oh, God. Who was a famous wrestler that sucked? Greg Kelly. It's a, it's a Greg Kelly kind of thing. I'm just... I would love to know how much money the Spawn movie actually made. I guess I think a Spawn is a whole multimedia thing more than just... Okay. Movie. It actually made back its money. Cost about $40 million. It made, like, not quite $100 million. Good on them, I guess. The hell spot. This is their, oh, yeah, yeah. The Western, what'd you call it? Javik Felsworn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, I don't know. I think I think I can think of a better example than Spawn. Better than Spawn. Maybe not. He has some strong Javik vibes. <laughs> I think there's this very, very specific flavor that I'm thinking of, and Spawn is almost there. I don't think he ends up being, I guess the word is pretty enough. Fair. Like, dude's wearing a fucking mask the entire time. Javik Felsworn is eye candy, and he wants you to know it. 
during the Javik Felsworn episode, you mentioned um, the new Lobo. That was one. Oh, yeah, yeah. New Lobo. Def- mm. Ish. The new Lobo. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck happened to that. Because, like, you know, New 52 is dead now. I think that they went the comedy route and actually had him and Old Lobo basically make a tag team. Well, that's cowardly. <laughs> okay, I don't know how much of my Shonen Jump thing you remember. Nothing will ever, ever seem as cowardly to me as the author of the harem manga going back and writing alternate endings for each fucking waifu. You spineless <laughs> piece of shit. Yeah, no, yeah, it's... <laughs> Make a goddamn statement. It could even be wrong. I would respect you more even if it were. <laughs> Make a goddamn statement about your characters, about their relationship with one another in your manga, and don't fucking think about whether people like it or not. They'll fix it themselves. They write fan fiction. Yeah, the fan it's fiction fine. community rolls deep. They make they make fan art. They write fan fiction. Honestly, reality does not matter to these people. <laughs> Oh, uh, well... You do not have to appease them. <laughs> they can take care of it for themselves. Trust me. By the way, while we're on the fucking uh, topic of comics we read this week, and um, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do a centerpiece uh, recap or review of this one because everyone in our generation has seen the show, and the comic yeah. uh, did numbers too. But on a lark, I think I just ran across a forum thread and reminded me that I enjoyed it. I reread a bunch of Rurouni Kenshin and when it comes to Roni Kenshin, it's good. some of you are thinking, wait, did you not hear about the, I had not heard about the thing. So if you're about to say. Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah, I remember the thing. So if you're about to thing. say, uh, dude, I didn't know when I started this. And that one <laughs> fucking stung. I'm going to tell you what the thing is in a second. That one fucking stung because I reread Roni Kenshin. I was having a great time. Like, just fundamental action adventure story, fun little sword fight things. It has that thing where. It is running on a consistent system of unrealistic bullshit with rules that make sense as you read it. And you can just rock with its rules. Well, yeah, that's the uh, that's the thing. Internal consistency. Yeah, internal consistency. Like that thing we harp on. That's what makes Roger Rabbit so it great. It has that shit you know, down pat. You mean you could do that at any time? No, not at any time. Only when it was funny. Only when it was funny. And uh, so I was really enjoying this. I was maybe 150 chapters into this rerun through Ruroni fucking Kenshin. Good God. Because I, for one thing, I read quickly. For another thing, I have the fucking app thing, so it's all just in my hand. Mm-hmm. And then I am just doing some kind of wiki trawl, and I find out that the creator got caught with volcano quantities of child pornography. CP. He. <laughs> he got vanned. He got vanned, arrested, and fined. He got vanned real hard. And I, oh, Jesus, why? Also, it makes the, like, ninja character girl that loves the ninja man way worse. Oh, yeah. It's, like, it's kind of a shame, too, because this was the guy who had a whole lot to say about um, how exploitative the uh, the manga industry is on uh, artists. So it's oh, sort is of, it, is you know... It's a fucking David Starr scenario again. It, like, it ends up discrediting a whole lot of, you know, the, the, the actual true things that he used math to prove, but also he's a fucking pedo, so. Uh. <sighs> I looked this up, and it's sadder because he mentored a bunch of influential fucking people. Like, that whole wave of Shonen Jump guys from when we were in high school, like Shaman King, 
One Piece, all that shit. I like Shaman King. That was he men- he mentored a lot of those dudes. Mm-hmm. So, oh, the Shaman King. It's it's a bit of imitative fallacy, but it's like being sadder about Will Osprey fucking up than Louis C.K. fucking up, because at the end yeah. of the day, Louis C.K. sort of made grime part of his image. So you were less shocked. And and he even fucked up harder. Yeah, he even fucked up harder, so he was shocked. But when someone who like writes probably the most idealistic martial arts thing I had read early on pulls this kind of shit, I guess it just uh I don't know, makes the world feel a little rougher. Yeah. It taints all of the good things that you thought. And you know, if like the more of these good things that they were, the more tainted it all feels. It is wild shit. And I was coming in before I found out about events with some observations about, like, the order of the fucking arcs in Roni Kenshin and the structure of the fights. And now all I could think is, yeah, guy loves his CP. So, you know, thanks for ruining that shit for me. (laughs) (sighs) But I did enjoy Inside Marie. This went to an interesting place. This went to a a couple interesting places. It did, it did. Yeah, yeah, I mean... uh, this premise throws you, throws a lot of content your way, so I think that uh, I've had my briefcase moment. <laughs> Yo, what the fuck do you think mummies are a metaphor for? What the fuck are mummies a metaphor for? <laughs> it feels like mummies are a metaphor for fucking mummies. <laughs> I feel like mummies are a metaphor for you know an ancient burial practice <laughs> wherein <laughs> wherein you know a uh, a king would be uh, a king would be embalmed. After death, his organs <laughs> stored in various jars. And then thousands of years later, you know, dug up. That's an interesting point, but I think that mummies are a metaphor for the song Power Slave by Iron Maiden. <laughs> oh, I do love that song. I do. I remember playing rock band in high school with y'all. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember if it was Power Slave or another song. Just one of those ones with a giant fucking guitar solo, and I would always be, you know, the vocalist. So I'd just kind of sit down. You got on your tambourine game during those. <laughs> I think you made a lot of the Stewie Griffin, I've got blisters on these fingers, Joby fingers. Which is always entertaining. In hindsight, my mom and sister are nicer than I gave them credit for. Because oh yeah, just for fucking putting, putting up, with, up that, with our bullshit. Also, that game had an active drum kit, and I lived on the second floor. <laughs> I gotta get good at it, Ma. <laughs> Look, I could do the bit from Hop for Teacher. Sometimes she would just squint and pretend I was learning a skill. Ah, <laughs> uh, Hot for Teacher. I fucking love that song, because... A lot of the time, like we were talking about with the Roroni Kinchin guy, right? You do not hear until years later that, you know, the dude is a gigantic fucking, you know, pedo creep. Oh, Eddie got into that shit? But. Eddie Van Halen got into that shit? No, no, he's actually just kind of a fucking asshole. You know, just just the way that a lot of, like, I'm not too disillusioned about it. No, I'm just talking about how you do not get. 90 seconds into Hot for Teacher before you know exactly how much of a fucking douchebag <laughs> David Lee Roth is. Yeah, you've got a pretty full personality sketch of uh, Mr. Roth by the time you hit the bridge. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> fucking Steel Panther took David Lee Roth and turned him down 15%. Right? I'm pretty sure that most of the lyrics to Steel Panther 
songs are just, you know, shit that Davy Lee Roth was overheard talking shit about with Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> it strikes me as possible, Captain. Yeah, man, she's on the rag. <laughs> she's on the rag. Anyway, everyone, this has been... Where are you going, David? Oh, I'm going to blow my load at the glory <laughs> Anyway, this has been Well Read Hell. It's well read today. I am host A or B, depending on the popularity polls this month. Denard Dale. I am host Lego Samuel. Oh, wait. Why did I say Samuel? I fucking... I don't go by Samuel. To uh, Archangel for you? Yeah, it's a little bit It's a little bit too biblical. It's always just been a little bit too biblical. Just, uh, just, uh, just like Sam. And I don't like anything except Sam. Like, I don't like Sammy in the fucking slightest. Samuel, again, too much. Sammy just feels taken Uh, by baseball. If someone calls me Samson, I'll kind of, like, give them an eyebrow or whatever. But, you know, it doesn't particularly bother me. Just like, oh, that's an interesting choice right there. Oh, one thing I will say that's a prosaic observation about the the Kenshin thing on the way out before I do the, you know, website internet wrap-up is... Fascinating thing is one of the only series I've ever seen where the main character was always number one on the fucking popularity poll. Yeah, that doesn't happen, does it? Doesn't happen. Like you never see fucking. Well, I, actually, I won't get specific because I might get this wrong. I was gonna say Deku, but he might have had a few runs. Bakugo has been on top literally since day one. Damn, son. <laughs> and then you know, like fucking Levi has been on top. Pretty much since, like, the second he was introduced. And I'm pretty sure it was Mikasa until he was introduced. It doesn't matter. We all know who the most based is. But, but yeah, like, every, every fucking popularity poll I saw in this Kenshin thing, everyone's just chanting cross-face, cross-face. <laughs> so that was a boon that it had going for it. It's fascinating. Yeah, that guy really did not need to taint that legacy. Well, was he the most edgy character because they are always attracted to the most edgy character. Sasuke, Levi, Bakugo. Kenshin was one of those uh, fun hat tricks of having your cake and eating it too, and that he had a edgy backstory but was Jesus in the present. Right, yeah, no, he would never kill yeah, people, Yeah, he was trying right? to redeem himself from like his time thing. being edgy and awesome and winning the war. <laughs> it's just fucking, you know, being a kid who's been watching Roroni Kenshin. And then you watch Samurai X trust the trick. Why is he doing this? So I didn't know this, but a lot of that Samurai X stuff is a um, decent lift of a, a part that is actually in the comic book. Like, they actually do render the manga, yeah. some of his time as just <laughs> Mr. Body Bags. It just never made it into the very PG-rated uh, show. Kenshin used to stack some fucking heads. Kenshin used to fucking body people. Like, you know the difference? You know when he gets that, like, sweet opening blow and they're like, a reverse blade sword? It's like that, only the sword keeps going through the person. And <laughs> really makes for shorter fights when you get down to it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's weeaboohell.com, seemoreevil.com. I'm on Twitter for reasons that escape me. I might not be in, like, a week. I'm... Super not on Twitter or Facebook what or anywhere. Don't try and find man. me. Everyone just considers Sam's character and the things he contributes to his community.
I um I have replaced the time um the time I spent on Facebook. Uh just uh watching baseball and baseball related stuff. Nice. It's uh I mean, it's calming. Baseball gives you a whole other engine for metaphor, so I'll be good for your inevitable history podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I uh <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it's coming any one any fucking day now. I'm going to get started on it. I I don't even know if I'm control I let me try that again. I don't even know if I'm in control over what it's about. I look forward to seeing your Rome podcast. Uh, Though maybe that is thoroughly called cruel fate. Territory. 